Okay, Matthew chapter 13, beginning of verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose... They were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have in abundance. But from one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed." lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed be your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a little while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Father, we pray that you'd help us this morning, uh, even to do exactly what this parable teaches, that we'd be careful how we hear that we pay close attention. Lord, help us to set aside the cares of this world and the things that compete for our attention at this moment and to give our undivided attention to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I remember one time back when we were living in Seattle, I uh, came home after work and walked in the house and I sat down in the living room and instantly it struck me that there was something different about the living room. And then it dawned on me. The Christmas tree was gone. And so I voiced out to Lisa. I said, hey, you took down the Christmas tree. To which she responded, yes, two days ago. (laughs) And then I looked out the window and I noticed that in our front yard was our Christmas tree laying just off the sidewalk. In fact, the tip of it would have almost brushed my pant leg as I walked up the sidewalk for two days before I sat down in my living room and noticed Something has changed. My art of perception isn't always (laughs) that keen. That's what the disciples are doing right now. They've noticed something different. They've been with Jesus. They've listened to his teaching for some time now. And now Jesus begins to teach again. And all of a sudden it's different. There's a very noticeable difference in the way that he's teaching. And he begins to speak to the people in parables. And the disciples notice this difference and they come to him and they say, hey, wait, wait a minute, what are you doing speaking to them in parables? Why have, you, why have you changed your teaching method? If you compare it back to what we saw with 
the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, he speaks very directly, very pointedly, very bluntly. Now all of a sudden he's using these little stories to teach the lessons that he wants to teach. And so they recognize that difference. The first thing he does, he points out that there's a purpose in the parables. There's a purpose in this change. The purpose is twofold. First of all, the purpose is to reveal. Obviously, any time that you teach, any time that you speak, the reason that you have a reason that you're doing it, you want to communicate something to somebody else. When Jesus starts to tell these stories, he wants to teach his disciples. He wants to teach the crowds, the people about the truth of God's word. But not only does he want to reveal, he says that his, his purpose is also to conceal. He's trying to hide some things. In fact, notice in the passage that we, that we find here, in verse 11, he says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Now, who's the them that he's talking about? Well, more than likely, the them that he's talking about is the people that just committed the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which we looked at last week was the unforgivable sin. The very beginning of chapter 13, it says that same day. So right, right then, that same day that they committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, Jesus changes his teaching. The disciples notice it and they say, why? Why did you change your teaching? Well, because he has two purposes now. He has one purpose that he wants to reveal himself. He wants to reveal the Father. He wants to make revelation to his disciples. But secondly, he's also concealing the truth from those people that just committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We have a hard time with that. In our day and age, in our culture, we have a hard time with thinking that God would... would conceal his truth from people. But it's absolutely true. When I was in Bible college, I remember I was taking a class called The Life of Christ. And one of the questions was, what is the purpose of the parables of Jesus? And person after person in that class said, well, Jesus was using parables because stories are a good teaching tool because he wanted to teach the people. He wanted to reveal his will to them. Person after person said that, and that's absolutely true. Nobody made the statement Because in the parables, Jesus also wanted to conceal his truth from the people that had committed the unforgivable sin. And as I'm listening, as it goes around the class and person after person is chiming in on this, I'm thinking, it's it's right there. Jesus said to you, it's been given to them, it hasn't. I'm revealing it to you, I'm concealing it from them. It's, It's not even the first... Time. Remember back in Matthew chapter 11, we looked at just a couple chapters ago. It says, at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Even at that time, even before the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, Jesus points out that God the Father has hidden his word from some people and revealed it to others. It's black and white, or actually red and white, if you have a red letter edition in your Bible. But it's right there in front of us, but nobody wants to acknowledge it. Nobody wants to recognize the sovereignty of God in declaring His own will. Well, if we go on a little bit farther, He lays the burden of this upon them, because He says, you're who the prophet Isaiah was speaking about. And then He goes through that whole long thing again. I'm not going to read it again, but He says, look, you have eyes to see, but you don't see. You have ears to hear, but you don't hear. You're not listening. You're not learning your Your heart is not open. And that's exactly what these Pharisees and these religious leaders, and I would say probably even much of the crowd, they have their agenda. They have their hearts closed to what Christ was teaching. Their ears are closed to Him. All they're looking for in His teaching is something that they can catch Him with, something that they can put Him to death with. So their ears are closed. And Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to make it a little bit harder for you even. I'm going to begin to conceal my truth into stories. The parables, if you think about it, are perfect for what He's wanting to do. Because... The truth is taught in the story. 
If you've got a sincere heart and an open mind, and if your only real desire is to know the truth of what he's teaching, it's there. You can see it. It's clear. But if you have your own agenda that you want everything to line up with, if you have your own position and you're coming there more like the Pharisees did more in an argumentative mode, then you're not going to catch it. You're going to miss it. And that's exactly what he's doing with the disciple with this first parable. The point that he's making is be careful how you hear. Pay attention to what is before you. To them at that point, to Jesus, Jesus as the living word, he's a living word. He's, his teaching that's before him, his miracles that were before them, and they were completely missing it. Those things pointed clearly to the fact that he was the Messiah, the son of David, the savior of the world, and they completely missed it. And so Jesus' first parable deals with their ability to hear. You know what? Israel always had trouble with this. I think back to the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 4, he'd say this of Israel, You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets. That lengthy passage that Jesus quoted from Isaiah said the same thing. Eyes to see, ears to hear, but you don't hear. In Ezekiel chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see, but see not, who have ears to hear, but hear not, for they are rebellious house. When Jesus was writing the letters to the seven churches at the beginning in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, every letter ended with this statement. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And even in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 15 that we looked at previously, Jesus says the same thing. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's what we need to be careful of as we're gathered together. Even as believers, we need to check our, check our hearts. We need to check our ears. We need to make sure that our ears are open to the Word of God, that we're attentive to the Word of God. Have any of you ever sat down to read your Bible, maybe for your devotions or something that you're interested in? You read a chapter of your Bible and then you realize, you know what, I don't have a clue what that just said. I don't think I'm the only one with that problem. I run into it quite frequently. And there's a lot of times where I say, man, I've got to go back and read that chapter again. Why? Because as I was reading through it that time, my eyes were going over it. My lips might even be moving. I can hear the noises of the words in my mind, which you're actually, if you're a good reader, you don't do that apparently. But I do. And uh, I get through that and I, you know what, man, I just, I was thinking about something else. I got the very words of God in front of me, but I'm thinking about something else. Well, that's exactly what Jesus is dealing with. His very first instruction that He's given in parables to His disciples is be careful how you hear. As we look through that, we're going to see four responses that Jesus teaches within the parable to the Word of God. The first response that we see to that parable is what I want to label the disinterested. And this actually is the one that I struggled the most with coming up with a label for this. I just, as I read through His parable and learned from His parable, I just thought, you know, who in our society, who in the world... Where do we see this happening? Now, if you remember what happened, Jesus said the parable is this. The farmer goes out into the field to sow, and he sows seeds onto his field to plant his harvest. Some of the seeds land out on the path that goes along the field. And so obviously that's a hard surface. The birds come down, and they eat those seeds up. Some of the seeds land in rocky places, maybe just on the edge of the path. You'd find this where it's not really part of the hard path, but it's not part of the plowed field either. So you got the rocky places and the seeds land on those places and they sprout up right away. But since the rocky, the soil is too rocky, they don't get any good roots down. So when the sun comes up, it scorches them and they wither and they die out. Some seeds fall among the weeds and the weeds grow up. Everybody that's ever tried to do anything with gardening knows this. The weeds grow much faster than what you want to grow. And so they grow up and they choke it out and that dies off as well. 
And then finally, you have the seeds that land in the plowed part of the field, the good soil, and those seeds sink in and they take root and they grow and they produce fruit. Some 100-fold, some 60-fold, some 30-fold. So varying degrees of fruit, but they all produce it. As we look at this passage, what is the first one? The first one is the ones that the land on the hard path, the birds come down and eat it. Then Jesus goes on to explain it. And he says that's the birds coming down to eat the seeds, that's Satan. The seed comes to the people. But they don't understand it, and so that they and so that they don't understand it, Satan takes that opportunity away. And so we see two things involved. One is the condition of the people's heart is too hard for the seed to sink into. The other one is that Satan is blinding them, is taking away those opportunities, lest those opportunities linger and become fruitful. As we look at it, the Bible concurs with that in a lot of different places. Second Corinthians chapter four says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so the Apostle Paul is recognizing the same thing Jesus is teaching here. He's saying, look, if our gospel is veiled, if, if there's a blinder on, he says that blinder is there because Satan is blinding people to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only is Satan blinding people to the truth of the gospel, but our own nature blinds us to the truth of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle dealt with this. He says the natural person, in other words, the person without the Spirit of Christ within them, so the unsafe person, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. It takes the Holy Spirit working in our heart to enlighten us to where we understand things that are spiritual in nature. In our natural selves, without the Spirit of God, we don't... We don't welcome it. We don't get it. It's, we miss it. It's going over our heads. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, it says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. You see, in our natural state, without Christ in our lives, and His Spirit in our hearts, none of us seek after God. Because of the sinfulness of our human heart, we don't desire Him. And that's why in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, All things have been handed over to Me by My Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. Notice this last line. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. You see, it takes the Son of God working in our hearts to open our hearts to the truth of God's Word, to reveal the Father to us. Because in our own natural state, Satan is blinding us. He's picking up those seeds. Our own natural heart, remember the path is what? The path is hard. Our own heart is hard. Our natural self is hardened toward the things of God. We don't desire Him. We don't seek Him. We don't understand Him. But through the Spirit of God, under the will of the Son, He reveals to us the Father. So who's this talking about? As I put together all these things, I think, all right, how does this person look? And frankly, I just think this person looks disinterested. They're not really interested. You can talk about spiritual things. You can try to argue about the rightness or the wrongness of something from the Bible, and they just don't really even go there. They just don't really care. They're just not interested. Their, their hearts are hardened toward the things of God. And Satan uh, it does his job to try to keep their hearts hardened toward the things of God. And they're just, they're just not interested. 
But not only do we see a response of the disinterested, we also see the response of what I would call the discouraged. The discouraged. Jesus, in the next part of his parable, talks about the seed that falls on the rocky soil. And he said the seed that falls on the rocky soil, rather than just being taken away by the birds, it has crevices and stuff to get into. And so the seed in the rocky soil lands there and it, it sprouts up. At first it seems like it's doing good. It grows. And there you see a response. It looks like there's some interest. It's not just the disinterested person that doesn't really seem to care at all about it. This person, there's an activity there. This person's excited about what they've just learned. But he says, because there's no root, there's no place for it to dig in, when the sun comes up, the little bit of root it does have can't keep up with the heat from the sun, and it withers and it dies. Now, Jesus, when he teaches us later on in the passage, when we get to verses uh, 20 and 21, it says, For what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a little while. Now notice this, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So this is somebody that hears the word of God, responds somewhat, obviously not on a deep level, but seems to respond somewhat. But as soon as he receives persecution because of the decision that he made, persecution that has to do with what he learned in the word of God or the word of God itself, as soon as he receives that, then he's discouraged and he just backs away from it. He just What it looked like faith at the beginning just dies out and does not seem to be faithful in the end. So this is the person that they hear the gospel and, wow, that sounds awesome. And they even make a profession of faith. But then what happens? They go home and they find maybe the people of the family aren't too excited about it. Maybe their friends don't think it's very cool. And so they start to face some ridicule. They start to face some persecution. And what happens to this faith? Well, it turns out that it really wasn't faith to begin with. It was nothing inside of them, deep in them. It was shallow. It was surface. It was, it was enthusiasm, maybe, but it wasn't faith. And so they, they fade away. And not every profession, Jesus is pointing out, is not every profession that we see is genuine profession. It's, it's got to have root. It's got to have substance. I mean, isn't the, isn't the whole concept of faith to be faithful? If someone really has true faith, then would they shy off from persecution? Would they not stand up to it? That's exactly, remember back in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus was teaching us the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on, a, on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's also the example that we see in the apostles after Jesus left. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles were taken before the council and they were beaten because they wouldn't be quiet about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 41, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Obviously talking about the name of Jesus Christ. So the apostles would go through much suffering. This is only the beginning of their suffering. And they would endure it. They would stand up under it. They would be victorious over it because they had root in themselves. Jesus' point here is sometimes people where the Word of God goes, it looks like there's a response at first, but there's, there isn't. There's no depth. There might be enthusiasm, but there's no faith. And so those people die out. They're discouraged. They're easily discouraged by the persecutions that come our way because of the Word. Well, then we also find the distracted because he goes on to tell the parable or the, the part of the parable about the seed that falls among the weeds. He says some of the seed falls among the weeds, but the weeds grow up and they choke it out. 
The same with weeds in our garden. Weeds take over and choke out the things that we're trying to grow. And that's what Jesus is talking about here when he explains it. Look at verse 22. In verse 22 he says, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfaithful. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, so our goals, our plans, our everything that was going in our life, chokes out the Word of God. There's just no room for the Word of God in our, in our life. You know what? There might, be, there might be some of you in here already this morning that have kind of checked out and maybe you're making a shopping list or a, you know, you're going over what you're going to do this afternoon. That's what this is talking about. It's talking about our life getting so full of the things that we desire and chase after and, and the concerns that we have in this world that we, we choke out any room for having the Word of God take effect in our hearts. And that's exactly the point of the message that Jesus is giving in this parable. Be careful. Be careful that you hear. Don't be disinterested. Don't be discouraged. Don't be distracted. Be able to set those things aside. Have room for that faith to grow in our hearts, to, to flourish, to produce fruit in our lives. You know, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 10, the Apostle Paul had some people that had worked alongside of him that were no longer. One was named Demas. says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So Demas, obviously, we don't know a lot about Demas, but obviously he had forsaken the ministry with the Apostle Paul and said enough is enough, called her quits for one reason or another. The Apostle Paul labels this reason why Demas left. He says he's in love with this present world. In other words, his heart's desire for the things of this world had choked out his desire to serve God, and he left. James chapter 4 and verse 4 tell us that you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Obviously not talking about the people of the world. The Bible tells us God loves the people of the world. But there's a world has a system that is ungodly. And if we are so wrapped up in that worldliness, it chokes out our ability to have a relationship with God. It chokes out the teachings and the concepts of this world, choke out the place of the Word of God in our life. Hebrews chapter 11, we find a refreshing example to the, to the opposite. And it's, it's in the person of Moses. The Bible says in 11 verse 24 through 26, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What an awesome example Moses gives us. Notice he covers several of these right in that one, just in this short statement. Because it says that Moses chose what? He chose to suffer reproach for Christ rather than to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's a contrast between the palace of the Egyptian empire and the slavery of God's people. Moses chose reproach, so he was not discouraged, over wealth, so he was not distracted. We have one more word. We have one word that describes a person like that very clearly. 
And it's the word disciple. And that's the last response that we see to Jesus' parable. The last of the seeds fall among the good soil. There, this is the seed that falls among the good soil and it springs up. Now, disciples are not all the same. Some people produce larger crops than others. Some people it's more, more visible than other people. Some people seem to have more fruit in their life than, than other people. But the point is they're all bearing fruit. Jesus says some are going to bring in 100 grains. Some are going to bring in 60. Some are going to bring in 30. But the point is this. When the seed of the Word of God finds good soil in the heart of the individual, it produces fruit. That's the disciples. So Jesus, as He was standing there teaching the people and telling this parable, He had all those people around Him. He had people, maybe I shouldn't say all around Him. Some of them probably just didn't come out. They weren't part of the crowd gathering around. They didn't really care. Because when they did get seeds of opportunity, Satan picked them up quickly. They weren't that interested in them. And so it went. Others were there. They were interested, but if making a decision for Christ meant taking some flack from your friends, well, they weren't, just weren't that interested. Others were there that were somewhat interested, but they were more interested in what they had going on in their life at the moment. They were more interested in the cares and concern that they had going on. And then you had the disciples. Jesus made a statement in John chapter 10 and verse 27 one time. He said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I love that description of a disciple. That's kind of putting it, as one professor used to say, putting the cookies where the kids can reach them. Jesus says, Here's my relationship with my disciples. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. And that's the last category of this parable that Jesus told. So as Jesus begins to teach in parables, he's doing two things. One, he's, he's revealing it to those that are of a softened heart. He's concealing it from those who had already committed the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He's concealing it from those who's hardened their hearts and in the unforgivable sin. And as he reveals his Himself to people, it falls, the seed falls on different kinds of soil. It falls on different kinds of hearts. Some hearts are overly hard. People are disinterested. And Satan is at work taking up those opportunities. Other people are discouraged. They hear the word. At first they might show some sign. They might be a little bit excited at the moment. But it doesn't last. Because pressure from family, pressure from friends, pressure from the, the world at large, they're just not going to put up with that. Others will hear the Word of God and they'll be distracted. Too distracted with what's going on in their life at the moment. Too distracted with their interests. Too distracted with gaining the deceitfulness of riches. But they won't respond. May we always be the disciples. The ones who are described by following Christ. The place where the hearts are soft, receptive to the Word of God. And changed. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to hear it this morning. And we pray that even this morning, as we open it before us, that our hearts are soft to your word. 
We pray that your word would have free course in our lives and that we would produce fruit for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.